Please take your Bibles and go to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. If you're visiting with us and you need a Bible, <clears throat> if you go to the chair in front of you, on the bottom, you should pull that out. There's a hymn book there and there's also a Bible. Pull that out, go to the back and find page 10. Page 10, because they renumber the New Testament. So Matthew chapter 13, you'll find page 10 in that black Bible. Matthew 13. Matthew chapter 13, page 10 in that black Bible. We're going to read uh, Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9, and then drop down to verse 18 to 23 to see the explanation of the parable of the sower. I found this shirt at a shop called For Pastors, and there's a section that says, Keep Them Awake. So I... I'm just kidding. I there's no such thing as a story like that. I just thought you would enjoy that. I thought of that 8.30 this morning, so. They get a good laugh. But it is. It keeps you awake, right? So you look, you're like, whoa. Okay. I thought I needed coffee. Anyway, so. Matthew chapter 13. Let's read what Jesus has to say here. On that day, as he was going out of the house, Jesus sat by the sea, and great multitudes gathered to him. So that getting into a boat, he sat down, and the whole multitude stood on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them. And others fell upon the rocky places. Well, they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And because they had no roots, they withered. And others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them. And others fell on the good soil and produced fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixty. And some 30, he who has ears, let him hear. Drop down to verse 18. Therefore you yourselves hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. And the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the one who hears the word and immediately with joy receives it. Yet he has no root in himself, but is temporary. And when affliction or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he is caused to stumble. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word and the anxiety of the age And the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes useless. Verse 23. And on the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, 
and some 30. I don't know how exactly I found this statistic from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, but I was looking through statistics and found this website. They're in the U.S. Department of Labor, the Bureau of Labor Statistics. The largest over-the-year percentage increases in employment in large metropolitan areas. The top two, first was Orlando, Florida, the area around Orlando, Florida as well. A 3.8% was an increase. And by the way, this is from June of 2018 to June of 2019. Okay, that's the statistic that they give. So number one was Orlando, surrounding area of Orlando, Florida. Guess what number two was? Phoenix. It was. Phoenix, Mesa, Scottsdale area, 3.3% increase in just a year. That's amazing, right? It's helpful when you see these statistics because it kind of puts things in perspective, so to speak, because you look at data, right? And you're seeing this information. Well, let's stir the pot a little bit. You know, I like doing that. Let's look at the statistics on gun violence. One-third of gun deaths are homicides which are concentrated in cities and half of those took place in only 120 cities across the country. Interesting. And it was most prevalent in racially segregated areas with high rates of poverty. By the way, you find this statistic on everytownresearch.org. Black Americans represent the majority of gun homicide victims. It's sad. Black Americans are 10% more likely than white Americans to die by gun homicide. Black males are 15% more likely than white males to be shot and injured in assaults involving guns. And even black women are twice as likely to be fatally shot by an intimate partner compared to white women. So you look at these statistics and you look at these and they're sobering. And yet things change even more so when it becomes personal. Because no matter the statistic, when it happens to you, nothing can bring him back. Nothing can bring her back. It becomes personal. Take another stat. When you're talking about Christians, people who profess to be Christians, only one in four are true Christians. And out of the four, one totally rejects Jesus. So out of the three that seemingly believe, two-thirds will defect from the faith. So that means statistically, only 25% of people who respond to the gospel truly respond to the gospel. 25%. I 
said that to my wife. She said, wow, where did you find that statistic? I said, from Jesus. Because that's the parable of the sower. Well, it's one thing when you look at statistics. It's sobering. But it's quite another thing when it becomes personal. Michael Ferris, he's the founder of Homeschool Legal Defense Association, HSLDA. He wrote a letter to a former pastor. Maybe some of you, some of you might have heard about Joshua Harris, former pastor of Covenant Life Church. Kind of a rock star as a pastor. And yet he just recently divorced his wife and renounced the faith. He posted that, Joshua Harris, he posted it publicly on Instagram. Well, Michael Ferris, who's known Josh Harris for almost 40 years, ever since he was seven years old, and I think Josh Harris is like 40, 41 years old, so close to 40 years, Mike Ferris wrote a letter. Here's some of the things that he said to Joshua Harris. Quote, Jesus told us there be false prophets and teachers among us. Your story doesn't invalidate Christ's message because he predicted that people would do exactly what you have done. I just didn't expect it would ever be you. My heart aches for you in so many ways. It seems that you thought that Christianity was a series of formulas, of formulas for marriage, formulas for systematic theology, fear of choosing the wrong formula, fear of failing to live up to your formula. I would never reach this conclusion about you on my own, but what you have said yourself can be fairly summarized as this. You thought your faith and your marriage were based on formulas. They never went deeper than that. Josh, you and your story are not the measure of the validity of Christianity. Jesus is real. He doesn't want you to return to your prior formulas. He wants you to come to him for the first time and learn to love. I am praying for you, Josh, with love and sorrow, Mike Ferris. Now, I think we need to be careful because we cannot necessarily make hard sweeping judgments about Joshua Harris or anyone else for that matter but the fact of the matter is presently speaking he says he wants nothing to do with Jesus right now and at the end of the day it just hurts it brings sorrow and grief see it changes things when it becomes personal doesn't it A loved one walks away from Christ. A good friend renounces Jesus. A pastor who called you to love Christ seems to not love Christ anymore, even denying Christ. Matthew's gospel is about coming and bowing down because Jesus is the Messiah, King of Israel. Bow down and worship him. And here as we come to the parable of the sower, this is our title. Only one in four will bow. Only one in four will bow. 
we must come to grips with the fact that some people will not listen. Some people will be superficial. And some will be preoccupied with the things of this world. We must come to grips with that. And not just as we're proclaiming the gospel to people, but even in our own lives. Us as a church here at Cottonwood Bible Church. Only one in four will bow. The fact of the matter is, the majority of people will not positively respond to the gospel. So the fact that you're sitting here is just the grace of God. Think about it. It's it's just the grace of God. As sobering and as sorrowful as a passage like this could be, I actually want to turn it on its head because we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. This passage is timely because what I, the trajectory I want us to go in this morning is this. Let's remind ourselves of Jesus' death for all our sins, our total admission and confession of our sins, our humble repentance of our sins before him, our trust in Jesus and his work for us, and our love for him. This is what we're going to do. As we walk through the parable of the sower, and as we see only one in four will bow down, you remind yourself that you have bowed down and you are bowing down. You remind yourself of the gospel truth. You remind yourself of your confession of your sins. You remind yourself Jesus has died for my sins. You remind yourself that you trust in Jesus Christ alone. We talked about this in the first hour to recount the gospel engenders intimacy. Michael, Susanna, Matthews, they're going to celebrate their anniversary tomorrow. Craig and Toby did it just this past week. That's what you do at your anniversary, right? You say, happy anniversary. And yeah, you, you, you recount that time. And it creates and engenders intimacy. Oh, that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to recount our commitment to Jesus, or put it another way, let's renew our commitment to Jesus, our Savior, once again. As, we, as we're going to walk through the parable, that's, what I, that's the mindset I want you to have this morning, okay? Does that make sense? Are you with me? Tracking? Let me give a few um, statements before we actually look into the parable opposition to Jesus had increased. From Matthew chapter 11, chapter 12, even before that, I mean, John the Baptist was doubting Jesus. His own family, the people he grew up with, the people of Nazareth in the surrounding area. And the Pharisees, well, we knew they would reject Jesus. But I mean, when you're living in the first century, these were the religious leaders. You would think that they would embrace Jesus. No, no, they didn't. What's going on? 
I mean, how does one make sense of these different responses, these mixed responses to Jesus? Jesus tells us. He does it by giving, telling a story. The parable of the sower. What is a parable? A parable is a proverb, an enigma, a riddle, a taunt, a simile, or an allegorical story. That's, that's what a parable is. It uses, one writer says this, it uses a concrete analogy to illumine or obscure an abstract thought. Or in other words, put it like this. You have an abstract truth, abstract truth, put into practical everyday living via a story. That's what a parable is. They're allegories, but we don't want to allegorize them. And we must understand them in their historical literary backgrounds, draw that out of the text, and not impose our own backgrounds into the parable. Well, this is what the parable means because this is what these words mean for us today. No, you don't do that. What did those historically, literarily, those words mean at that time when Jesus was speaking in the first century? That's what we do with these parables. They, parables, reveal truths of God's kingdom to his followers, but they conceal truths from others. You'll see why um, next week, actually, when we look at verses uh, 10 through 17 of chapter 13. These parables spoke about the progress of God's kingdom on earth now, uh, but, but also the future glories. So we don't simply relegate them to something in the future, nor do we just say it's something in Jesus' own time. They apply to us today. So not just this parable, actually, but, but all the parables Jesus told unraveled these mixed responses to him and his kingdom message that you see from chapters 11 and 12 of Matthew's gospel. And, and you see how these responses to Jesus, they continue all the way till Judgment Day. Because even today, as you give people the gospel, you will see those four different responses. Many will not respond positively to this message. Bow down and worship Jesus, the Messiah, King of Israel. And even some who do, they turn out to be counterfeits of Satan himself. All that to say, these parables concealed the truth from those whose hearts were hardened to the truth, but to those whose hearts were tilled by the Father, it revealed God's great kingdom. So today we'll see the parable of the sower. Next week we'll look at chapter 13, verse 10 through 17. And then the next week after that, which you see that in your bulletins, look at all the other parables that Jesus gave. But I want to spend more time on this parable because how Jesus spends a lot of time explaining this parable. So notice how it begins simply Jesus' parable, verses 1 through 9. Going out of the house, he sat by the sea. It was on that day, so what happened with his family from chapter 12, maybe with the Pharisees, he left the house for the Sea of Galilee 
And notice verse two, great multitudes gathered to him, so getting into a boat, he sat down and the whole multitude was standing on the beach. It was actually just the opposite of what we're doing today. So basically, I should sit down, the rest of you should stand up. Just kidding, I'm not gonna do that to you. But that's what was happening. Jesus sat down at the boat and all these people were standing there on the beach as he spoke these parables, interesting. And this first parable was about the crowd. Really, to decipher the responses to him. Verse three, he spoke to them many things in parables, saying, behold, the sower went out to sow. And notice, excuse me, some fell beside the road. Verse five, rocky places. Verse seven, the thorns. Verse eight, the good soil. Notice the main issue. The main issue in the parable is the soil. Upon what kind of soil did the seed land? Only one soil, only one had soft soil upon which the seed landed and produced. The problem wasn't the seed. The problem wasn't the sower. It was the soil. And it's the soil that stands for the different responses to Jesus and the mission of his disciples, of us. And remember, the farmer, he's scattering the seed by hand as, as he walked through a field. He was scattered by hand. And this, for a first century Jew, they knew exactly what he was talking about. I mean, for us, we don't necessarily do that. I mean, we don't understand how things like this work. So so remember, this is out of our context, out of our historical, how we do things in our society in the 21st century. Put yourself in the first century. This is how they did things. So people could identify with Jesus' story. And Jesus gave four types of soils. The path, the rocky, thorny, and the good. In the first three, the seed did not produce a crop. It was eaten by birds, it fell on shallow soil, or was choked by thorns. A crop was produced only in the fourth kind of soil. And notice how the production varied. 100-fold, 60, 30. Notice from verse 5 and also into verse 6 about the one that fell in the rocky places, when the sun rose, it scorched, had no roots, so it withered. The hot sun scorched the young plants because it had no root. With no solid root system, a plant withers on the hot days. In verse 7, that fell upon the thorns. The plant competed for nourishment from these thorns. And proving to be too strong, the thorns took over and a new plant was choked. But God's seed goes into good ground. It bears a good crop. And notice what Jesus says here in verse 9, which is what I say to you as well. He who has ears, let him hear. If he has ears, which I think all of you have ears today, listen intently to what Jesus says. Respond today to the gospel. If you're not a Christian, you should repent and trust in Christ today. Don't wait. Come to Jesus and he will save you of all your sins. He who has ears, let him hear. 
And then when we come into verse 18, Jesus unraveled the responses to him. Notice how it begins here in verse 18. Therefore, we, all you have here in the numeric standard says, hear then the parable. In the Greek, it's so much stronger. He says, therefore, you yourselves hear. So he's like, wake up. Hear the parable. And notice verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand. So you must hear and understand. He He's doing a play on words, which he's going to bring this up about understanding in verse 14. We'll look at that next week. Understanding the word only comes from God allowing a person to understand because our natural tendency is the first three responses. That's why it's so vital for God to be the one who's intervening in this which again you'll see next week. But he says in verse 19, they hear the word, they don't understand, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. The seed that fell upon the path displays the evil one coming and snatching away the word of the kingdom that was sown in the heart. This person was a careless hearer, their heart was hardened. It went nowhere. It went, and then it went nowhere. It couldn't go anywhere. So the evil one comes and snatches it away. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. She or he will not listen. Their heart was hard. Verse 20. And the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the one who hears the word and immediately with joy receives it. Yet, verse 21, he has no root in himself, but is temporary. So notice in the rocky soil, there's initial enthusiasm and, and commitment to Jesus turned into apostasy. Why? Because of trouble or affliction or persecution. It has no root, Jesus says, and is temporary. The last part of verse 21, when affliction, or another word for that is trouble, trouble or persecution comes because of the word immediately. There in the American Standard says falls away. A better way to translate that is like this, is cause to stumble. Why does Jesus say that? Why does Jesus say he's caused to stumble? Because of this. If Christianity means persecution or having trouble in this life, she or he wants nothing to do with Christianity. Wants nothing to do with Jesus. These are superficial. Look, if you think that coming to Jesus means you're going to have your best life now, that person who told you that is an idiotic liar. That is not true. He is a moron. That is not what the Bible says. You will have trouble in this life. You will suffer. And if you call yourself a Christian, just the very fact that I walk up there in Jerome and walk those streets, they spit on me. 
because some of them can't even stand that I'm a Christian. So much so that one person says to me, hey Christian, that's what he calls me. He doesn't call me by my name. He calls me just Christian. If you think being a Christian means you'll have your best life now, that's wrong. No, you won't. You might have your worst life now. Because trouble will come when you follow Jesus. Ah, but yet it's so worth it. Because he who endures to the end will be saved. You have the glories of the kingdom. You have the glory of your Savior to look forward to. These are superficial. They don't want to have trouble or hardship. Verse 22. The one on whom seed was sown among the thorns. This is the one who hears the word. So they heard the message. She or he heard the message. They responded to it. But competition rose up within the heart. What's the competition? Jesus says, the anxiety of this age worries and the deceitfulness of riches. Competition rises up within the heart. Remember we talked about that? Earlier, the seed falls and it begins to blossom and grow, but it's among those thorns. And the thorns are too strong, so they t- they're taking all the nourishments from that plant so it can't, can't survive. It's competing for that and it just withers. It can't survive because the thorns are too strong. Riches and the worries and anxieties of this world, they can be very strong, can't they? Greed chokes the message of the kingdom. Greed chokes that message people say to me, they misquote it. They say, money is the root of all evil. I say, no, 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 it's not money. It's the love of money. That is the root of all evil. That's what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's not money. It's the love of money. Because greed chokes the message of the word. Notice how growth increased with the path and then the uh, stony ground and then the thorns. The growth increased, but none of these produce fruit. With the first one, I mean, the seed's gone. But the second and the third, there's, there seems to be a, a growth. It increased, but neither one of these two were true followers of Jesus. And did you hear what I said? Neither one of these two were true followers of Jesus. Now, some today teach and believe in, and we do as well, eternal security, but they believe it and teach in such a way that if any kind of profession is made to receive the gospel, well, once saved, always saved, they walk the aisle. Even though they're living like the devil, they made a profession of faith. So once saved, always saved. Really? I'm sorry, that is not how Jesus was depicted by Matthew's gospel. True, lasting fruit is 
One writer puts it like this. An indispensable test for being a true, genuine disciple of Jesus. This is what we mean when we say the phrase, Lordship Salvation. You receive Christ, not just as your Savior, but He's my Lord. He's my master of my life. I give Him my life. This is, that's part of the gospel. Yet having said that, there are also varying degrees of fruit bearing. So we have to be careful here. Fruit bearing crops yield in different degrees so we cannot put some legalistic human standard that that all should be a certain way or or yield a particular amount that's why Jesus says some hundredfold some sixty some thirty we're all at different levels and all of this takes time I'm not a farmer I grew up in a big city If you want to know about farming, ask Donnie. (laughs) Donnie knows about farming. He came from Maine and did farming for a long time. Takes time, right Donnie? Plants, trees take time to grow. And some of you have have family, you yourselves grew up in in farms, you you know about that. Some of you might be green thumbs too. I'm a purple or brown thumb. So what I touch dies. So anyways... Plants take time to grow. So, so we embrace the fact that this speaks about truly taking in the gospel kingdom message and understanding it so it will produce fruit, real true fruit. But we also believe there's varying degrees of that fruit. Verse 23. And the one whose seed was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and notice and understands it. Fruit is produced here. He indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Genuine discipleship, a true Jesus follower, a real Christian obeys the Lord Jesus because she or he loves the Lord Jesus. You love him. You're committed to him. He means the world to you. I'd rather have Jesus than anything in this world. She or he knows the Savior and he knows them. The person heard the word of the kingdom and understood it and they produce fruit. Now obviously as I read this and the interpretation of this, Jesus interprets the parable. Jesus was the seed sower, right? But the ultimate application is us and our proclamation of the gospel word and that we are the sowers, but also personally in our own response to Jesus. There's two aspects to this. One, that we are the ones who are the sowers, we're sowing the seed, but also in our own response, personally in our own lives, will we remain faithful to the gospel? Only time will tell. How do we explain unbelief? This helps us to decipher it. 
We must faithfully proclaim the gospel word of the kingdom, but must realize few truly grasp it because of hard-heartedness, persecution, worldliness, and satanic opposition. And remember, keep in mind, the problem is not the seed or even the sower. The problem lies in the heart, the soil. And yes, I'm sure that we can do better at giving people the gospel. Of course we can. But there's times where you just kind of go, when you're giving somebody the gospel, right? You go, blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, you know, and they respond. And you're like, wow, that wasn't me. (laughs) It wasn't my words, right? Because God's good. Because the problem is not the sower. The problem is definitely not the seed. It's not the word. It's the heart. Where's the heart? There's three factors that hinder the reception of the word. Satan, persecution, and greed. That, that's, that's how one writer puts it. It's a great way to sum it up. Satan steals the word because the heart is hardened by sin and by God's purposes. God's purpose of hardening that person's heart persecution or trouble shakes the person who only had an emotional response she or he had no root in the truth so these are the things that hinder word reception the evil one and what he does the hardness of heart persecution because you're a Christian and trouble and also greed greed chokes out the gospel word because following Jesus means one gives up the stuff and fame of this world. Because when push comes to shove, people want stuff, not Jesus. We must come to grips with the fact that some people will not listen, some will be superficial, and some will be preoccupied with the stuff of this world. that we're here that's just the grace of God so I told you in the beginning I wanted this to take a uh, turn it more on its head in a positive direction so I want to end the message with three warnings for us putting a negative but really thinking of it in a positive Be warned. First, beware of allowing your heart to grow cold and hardened to God when life doesn't go your way. Even pray. You can pray, God, keep my heart soft to your word. Beware of allowing your heart to grow cold. It's easy to do. Life happens. Things don't go the way you want it to go, which is probably 99.9% of the time. Don't allow your heart to harden to God. Another warning. Beware. Beware of having 
only an emotional, superficial response, but unwilling to have a deeper understanding of God's kingdom when persecution or trouble comes because of following Jesus. In other words, are you just merely a surfacey Christian? Let yourself go deeper. Let yourself go deeper in the word. Let yourself go deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Allow yourself to open, to open yourself to the truths of God's word, things that you thought you never would have, would have understood it initially. Whoa, let yourself do that. Beware of only having an emotional, superficial response which is so easy in our Christian culture to just be cheesy Christians. Are you a surfacey Christian? Last, beware of allowing worldly stature and riches to attract you. And the truth and the Savior you once loved come to nothing. Or the short version, in other words, you end up loving money or stuff more than Jesus, your Savior. Beware of that. Beware of riches and the attraction of this world. This way John says that, right, in 1 John chapter 2, don't love the world and the things that are in this world. They can attract us and draw us in. And remember, it choked it. You won't win. This passage was perfect for us to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Just fit for celebrating the Lord's Supper because what I wanted us to do, the trajectory, is a reminder, recounting the gospel to yourself. I put this up here earlier. I'll put it up again. Let's remind ourselves of Jesus' death for all our sins. Our total omission and confession of our sins. Our humble repentance of our sins before Him. Our trust in Christ and His work for us and our love for Him. Recount the gospel to yourself. Let it create, let it engender intimacy between you and your God. The thing that glues you to Jesus is the gospel. It's Jesus himself. Let's renew our commitment to Jesus, our Savior, once again. If you're not a Christian, this is for you to observe. You get to observe physical, tangible gospel truth. The bread represents his body. The juice represents his shed blood. We would encourage you not to partake of this if you're not a Christian. It's for Christians, people who love Jesus, right? And if you're here, you say, I'm not a member of the church. Look, if you come from a church of like faith and practice, and we're Baptists, so we believe you should be baptized by immersion, partake of the Lord's Supper with us. Join us as we celebrate it. And if you're here, you're a Christian, and there's something you have against someone else, 
and you've not gone to reconcile with this person, and it's one thing to try and reconcile, you can't reconcile, you just have, okay, I'm just going to let it go, and that's just the way it is. But it's another thing if you have not gone to reconcile with them. Probably best for you not to partake of the elements. Wait, go reconcile with that person, and then come the next time we celebrate the Lord's Supper. But we will remind ourselves of the gospel. We will examine our hearts, right? There'll be repentance, there'll be brokenness, and there'll be joyful celebration that there's forgiveness of all our sins in Jesus Christ. And the Father loves us in His Son. So what I want you to do, please, take these few moments of just silence. Let yourself reflect and think of and ponder on the things we've seen from God's Word. Recount the Gospel to yourself. Take these few moments to do that. And then we'll sing.